Now, this is not talking about, man, some people just lack self-confidence. You ever heard that statement? So some of you may be sitting here and you may be going, man, I got no issue with that. I don't have any confidence. That's not what the scripture is saying. The scripture is admonishing us. Yeah, definitely. We shouldn't have confidence in ourselves. And what we when we say I don't have self-confidence, what we're saying then is I really don't have any confidence in myself. But that's not necessarily what the Lord is asking of us here. Right. That may be an issue of, well, I just don't think I know that much or I all these whatever you fill in the blank right that's not the kind of confidence Paul's saying we shouldn't have he's saying we shouldn't try to develop some idea that I'll finally start thinking I got it I can do it I've got this figured out I but he's talking about being in a place where we have a total reliance on the Lord a total reliance and a confidence in him and that only comes out of relationship with him We can't produce it through knowledge. I can't know the word enough, read the word enough, study the word enough to have confidence. Now, if I spend all that time in the word, I'm probably going to start developing, hopefully, a relationship with the Lord. But there are some who have given themselves to the study of the scripture, but never came to know the Lord of the scripture. The Apostle Paul was one of those before his conversion. So let's read a little further and we'll see that. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Doubtless, I count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him. Hold on a minute. You're a Pharisee of the Pharisees. You're of the tribe of Israel. You're a Hebrew of the Hebrews. You're the tribe of Benjamin. And you don't know him? The Apostle Paul had all of this learning, all of this knowledge, all of he had sat. We know the scripture tells us he'd sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He had taken in all this information, processed all this information, learned all the laws and even walked according to all of them. But he acknowledged, I don't know him. Can you imagine spending your lifetime Learning the scriptures only to arrive at a place to recognize you don't know the Lord. That seems impossible, doesn't it, when you think about it? But that's exactly what the Apostle Paul did. You understand, he's on the road to Damascus when you read his story. He's already done all these things. He's already a Pharisee. He's already learned. He could quote the first five books of the Bible. That would be the case because of him being a Pharisee. He would be able to quote the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. He has given his life long to studying the Old Testament scriptures. And he's on his way to Damascus 
to persecute those who are in a way he's calling heresy. And he's on his way there, and a light shines down from heaven, Acts chapter 8, blinds him. He hears a voice from heaven that says to him, Saul, Saul, is it hard for you to kick against the pricks? Why are you persecuting me? And do you hear the question that this student of the scripture asks? This man who has given his life to learning the scripture asks the question, Who are you, Lord? He doesn't know him. He had head knowledge. He had no relationship with him. He could answer every question you would ask him about the Old Testament, I promise you. He didn't know the God of the Testament. And so Paul's writing to us is writing from that place of having all that learning, but coming to the revelation when the Lord smote him down on the road. I don't even know you, Lord. Who are you? And so when he writes and he says, have no confidence in the flesh. I hear the Apostle Paul saying, don't make the mistake I made. I trusted in everything I learned, but I never developed a relationship with God. It never went beyond surface stuff. No relationship with God beyond knowledge. It's the same Apostle Paul that we find on Mars Hill. In Ephesus, and the Bible says that the Epicureans and the Stoics there in Greece on, or in Turkey, there in Ephesus on Mars Hill, it says that they, all they ever wanted to do was learn some new thing. That sounds like our world today, doesn't it? That's why we love Google. It's a quick and easy way to learn some new thing, right? How many of you, you get asked a question, you're like, well, I don't know. What's the first thing you do? Right, you grab your phone. Well, I don't know. Let's look it up. Right? Learning some new thing. Learning some new thing. Learning some new thing. The days of research are gone. It's just like, I don't want to research. I'll just Google it. Look, we even turned that into a verb. See, same spirit of the day. Same spirit. Just ever wanting to learn something new. Gaining knowledge. Gaining knowledge. Gaining knowledge. Paul is walking to Mars Hill. He declares to them, as I was coming this way, he says. Well, first he makes a statement. He says, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. You're chasing this. Oh, this feels this way. Or, oh, I heard this, and so this seems that way. And superstitious, they're just caught about with whatever sound. They're hearing some new thing. So what's the latest and greatest news? What's the latest and great? What's the story of the day? No roots, no grounding, no knowledge of anything fast or lasting. Just, and he's preaching to them. And he says, I pa- as I came this way, he said, I passed by an altar. And he says, the altar that I passed by had an inscription on it. Anybody read this in the book of Acts? And he said, the inscription on the altar said, to the unknown God. And 
when Paul read that, it smote something in his spirit. I believe it smote something in his spirit because he could relate to that. He had been in a place where he didn't know God. He knew of Him, but he did not know Him. And when he saw that somebody had an altar, somebody would go to a place and pray and would put words on it that said to the unknown God. He said, Him therefore you ignorantly worship. Him I declare to you. Him I declare to you, he said. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He's not far from every one of you. You know, we've been praying for the Lord to bring revelation and understanding throughout these valleys the last couple of weeks, last week and a half. We have been praying regarding the Lord opening men and women's understanding of who He is. The revelation of the mighty God in Christ Jesus. The revelation that to wit God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. You understand? God was in Christ. Not Christ was a second person, part of God. God was in Christ, Paul said. To wit, God, the Almighty God, was in Christ, reconciling the world to whom? Himself. God robed himself in flesh. Is this what the word teaches? God. Not a second person of God. God. God robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. We are praying for that revelation. This is important. I'm not praying for people to have a revelation of knowledge in the scripture. Paul had knowledge of the scripture. I'm praying for people to have a revelation of who he is. I'm praying for a revelation to know him. The way he desires to be known. To know him in the fellowship of his suffering. To know him in the power of his resurrection. I am believing the power and the spirit of God. To reach with his hand into these valleys. By the arm of the Lord that is not short. And to remove spiritual blindness from the mind. Just as he removed it from the Apostle Paul's mind. He had been blinded. You say, Paul wasn't deceived. He knew there was only one God. Yeah, but he didn't know him. And there are some that have a relationship with him. But they're deceived about who he is. 
See, the adversary doesn't care how he blinds as long as he can blind people to something in their relationship with God. We need revelation. We need revelation and understanding to work. And the only way revelation and understanding can work is if you and I don't have confidence in our flesh. If I think for a moment I can convince someone of the scriptures, if I think for a moment I have the ability to, I, I've, ha- I've put my confidence in my flesh. I have to have a confidence in the word of God and the ability of the word of God and the spirit of God as I begin to share the word of God that God would remove blindness from somebody's mind and they would begin to see for the first time what they've never seen in their lives. Not because I have some great ability, because I don't, no confidence in the flesh, but because of the Spirit of God reaching and working in life, that He could remove spiritual blindness where I sat on my In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If I have no confidence in my flesh, it should be because I've put all of my confidence in him. It should be because I've put all of my confidence in him. That he can order and direct my life and my steps. That he knows what he's doing. And he can do what he wants to do as I yield to him because I put my confidence in him. I finish with this. I went through a season in my life. My apologies to those of you that have heard this before. I went through a season in my life where for almost four years I thought I was losing my mind. I said I know many of you have heard me share that. Um. I would teach, I would preach, we would spend time together, uh, and at times during those seasons, there would be a flow of ministry. Some, most had no idea, I would say probably all had no idea of the depth of what the Lord was allowing me to go through, and when he chose, he would allow a flow but then the moment that flow was over, I was right back. I mean, the moment I could walk out of here on a Sunday and get in my car and I would get in my car and just everything, my mind, all just chaos, bombardment, wondering what, what, what was just said, what was just what, what happened, what and just constant bombardment of my mind. I would I would wake up in the morning and bombardment and I. I thought I was losing my mind. I, I thought I was battling. Dep- I didn't know if I could hear from God, if God heard me. I, all this stuff just. And when the Lord brought me through that, the end of that. And, he, you know, the Lord will bring you through things. And while you're in them, you may not have understanding of where you are and what you're going through. 
And when we don't have understanding, that's difficult, isn't it? We want to always understand. We always want to understand. I'm going to tell you, in life, you will go through things you don't understand. And so you will either trust in God that he knows what he's doing and that he can lead you through those things. Or you will fall back on confidence in your flesh and trying to control a situation and hold on to it and make it make sense so that you don't appear. You know, there's nothing worse than appearing like you really don't know what's going on. You know what? I've become okay with, you know what? I just don't know what's going on. But I trust him. I don't understand. I don't understand what's... Have you ever read the book of Job? Job's friends and Job spent 40 chapters trying to explain what was going on. I mean, have you read it? They all had ideas about why this was happening to Job. What's going on in your life? This, this... They were... You know what they were doing? They were throwing darts at like a, a wall to see if something sticks. Maybe this is it. You must have done this, Job. You must... This must have happened. This is what took... And then finally that one finished, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess they missed it. It's my turn. And the next friend stepped up and began his dissertation of all the reasons why Job was. And they finished, and well, that probably wasn't it. And so the next friend stepped up, and he threw all of his stuff out. Finally, after that, the young man said, you know, I thought all you elderly people would say something and have wisdom, but you've all missed it, so I'm going to take my turn, and I'm going to say everything, and I'm going to tell you. And Job's trying to go, no, you're all wrong. This, No, that's not true. No, that's not true. And Job... And what are they doing? They're trying to explain what Job is going through. But they express what we realize when we read the scripture is nobody understood what was going on in Job's life except God. God understood because God was allowing it in Job's life. I'm sort of, I've sort of found a vein of the spirit right here. We're standing right here. Thank you, Jesus. When I have confidence in my flesh, I'll seek to be able to explain everything going on rather than just trust God to order my steps. There's times God in His great grace will give us understanding. But there are times God will say, I'm not going to give you understanding. I'm not going to tell you what's going on. I want you to trust me. I want your confidence in me, not in what you know, not in your flesh, not in your ability to fix it, change it, do anything about it. I want you to trust me. Job makes the statement, I believe, in the 22nd or 23rd chapter. He said, I go forward and he's not there. I go behind me and he's not there. I go to the left and the right on the place where I used to find him and he's not there and the place where I know he works, but he's not there. I can't seem to find him. He's trying to figure out what was going on in his life. But he finally makes the expression there. But he says, I know this. He knows. I don't know, but he knows the way that I take. You will go through seasons where you do not understand. 
But if you will trust God in those seasons, he has a purpose. He has a plan. He has a purpose and he has a plan. I came out of that season that I was describing a moment ago. And the Lord dealt with me. And he said, you had too much confidence in your ability to think. And he said, so I wanted you to know what it felt like to be losing your mind. So the moment you think you've got it all together and that you know how to think, you realize just how fragile your mind can be. I don't want you thinking on your own. I want my thoughts to be your thoughts, not your own thoughts. You say, well, wouldn't there be an easier way to do that? guess I'm just hard-headed. And so the love of God. It was the love of God, Brother Lewis. The love of God allowed me to go through that circumstance and situation to the point of, man, I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I would not wish it. And looking back, it was only four years, but, man, that's too long. The love of God will allow us to go through things we don't understand. And we may not understand them until we get on the other side of them. Then he brings revelation that this is what I was doing. You realize Job went through that season without a clue of what was going on. And it wasn't until it was over that he had understanding. And it was the hand of God that did it. You've heard me teach about that before in Job 1 and 2. It was the hand of God. Why? Because Job 2, Job said, that which I feared has come upon me. And the Lord wanted to deliver Job from fear. You say, well, that's a crazy way to do it. The only way the Lord could do it was to say, you know what? I've got to allow him to lose what he fears losing. And then when he realized the same one that gave it to him in the first place can give it to him again. The adversary can no longer hold that fear over his life anymore. You think Job feared losing again after that? You meet somebody that's lost everything. They don't have much fear of losing again. Job had lost everything. He took away the advantage of the adversary. The Lord took away the advantage of the adversary. And what it did is Job didn't have a confidence in his own self to reproduce what he'd lost. He had a confidence that God could restore what was lost. Stand with me. I don't know if that's for one person today or. It was said earlier today, it's been said again, it just, 
I find it this theme staying with me. It's been with us for a little while. Of whether I'm going to let God lead and direct and control my life or whether I'm going to. Whether I'm going to let God's will be done in, with, and through my life or whether I'm going to do my will in, with, and through my life. You know, some people, probably all of us, probably all of us come to God because of how we think or trust or hope it will benefit us. Is that a fair statement? We come because we want our life to change, and we believe, rightfully so, that if we come to God, our life will change. That's true. But the idea is that as the relationship with God grows, I'm no longer in the relationship for what's in it for me. Somewhere along the way, my relationship with God becomes about what's in it for Him. How does my life benefit Him, His kingdom, His purpose, His will, His plan? His desire. What does He want? The Spirit of the Lord is taking us to this place and not letting us leave it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you pray with me this morning? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Father, no confidence in ourself, but all in you. You know what you have to do and how to do it to bring us to this place. It's not the punishment of God. It's the love of God leading us to make us vessels pliable in your hand for your purpose and your will. For your purpose and your will that you would be glorified through our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray. In the name of Jesus we pray. I trust in you. I trust in you. I trust in you today. My confidence is in you today. Thank you Father. I shared it at men's prayer yesterday. John the Baptist was used of God. I think we'd agree with that, wouldn't we? He was the forerunner to Christ. Preached the message. John the Baptist was the son of of Zechariah, who was a priest, servant in the house of the Lord. Um, 
I have been told, I have not researched it myself, I've been told by a credible source that John the Baptist actually could have been in line to be a high priest because of his lineage. He chose to obey the calling of God on his life and walk away from what would have been quite prestigious in any fact, right, to be associated with the temple, to be a worker in the temple, to be a next generation, Zachariah's son in the temple. And rather than being there in the temple in all the priestly garments and all of the recognition and stuff that could go with that, John the Baptist chose to wear camel hair, eat locusts and wild honey, be out in the middle of the desert, proclaiming, repent, repent. People came out of the city to hear and see him. Some because he was a spectacle to them. But the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. The anointing of God was upon him. And he was used of God for God's purpose. And then one day he sees Jesus, his cousin, coming. His cousin who's six months younger than he in the natural. But John said, he's preferred before me because he was before me. Because he knew it was God in the flesh. Through revelation, not through common understanding, not through head knowledge. He saw Jesus coming and the anointing that would come upon John came upon him that day. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Revelation spoke in that moment. That wasn't head knowledge, that was revelation. Jesus came down and was baptized of John. And after he was baptized, he comes up out of the water. He sees the Spirit of the Lord descending like a dove. And he hears the voice of the Lord from heaven saying, Behold, my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Not with whom I'm well pleased, in whom. That's the difference. You and I would say, This is my son with whom I'm pleased. The voice of the Lord from heaven didn't say that. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It could literally be translated, this is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased to dwell. And this anointing's on John. And he recognizes this. He sees this. And then... Has John fulfilled God's purpose in his life? Would you agree? Did he fulfill the calling of God on his life? Would you agree? Did he do the work of God with his life? The will of God with his life? And then he finds himself in prison. He's in prison. And his disciples come to him. And John makes this statement. Go ask Jesus just a couple of questions. Ask him first, is he the one? And then ask him, do we seek for another? What are you talking about, John? You're the one that said, behold the Lamb of God. 
You're the one that saw the dove. You're the one that heard the voice from heaven say. What do you mean is he the one or do we look for another? Why is John asking his disciples to ask these questions? I'll tell you why John's doing it. Because John's circumstances have changed. And John doesn't understand why he's going through what he's going through now. John doesn't understand why he's in prison when he did the work of God. John, his life is almost over and he realizes it's probably going to cost it. He doesn't understand. Do you think, I, I just, John was human like you and I. I believe John probably thought, you know what? He'll, he must increase, I must decrease. Those were his words. But he is my cousin. Surely I'll have a part in the ministry of the Messiah. I, I don't mind decreasing. I'm all about decreasing. But surely, you know, I can see us ministering together. How powerful that will be. I'm in prison. I didn't picture being in prison. And because his circumstances changed, he began to question where he was. And he even began to question God. Go ask him if he's the one. And Jesus said, go tell John. Go tell him the blind see. The lame walk. The poor have the gospel preached unto them. Oh, and also tell John, blessed is he who is not offended in me. What do you mean? Here's what Jesus literally said. Tell John, blessed is the man that's not offended in how I choose to use him. I just want him to use me. If I don't understand it, if I don't understand what he's taking me through, I just want my life to be given to his purpose and his will. Amen. Praise God. I just want my life to be given to your purpose and your will, God. I just want to see your kingdom come and your will done. I just want to see the manifest glory of God. I just want to see the fulfillment of your word in the earth. I just want to see the promises of God throughout these valleys. How you choose to use me is your business. What you choose to do is your business. I just want to be used how you choose. I don't want to try to tell you how to use me. I don't want to try to tell you what to do. If you choose not for me to understand, I'm going to trust you anyway. If you'll give me the grace to do it, just use me, Lord. However you choose, just use me. I just want to see your purpose done. I just want to see your will done. I just want to see lives brought to you. 
I just want to see your purpose and will and plan. Here I am again. Do what seems good to you to do. In the name of Jesus. 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 Still I will trust you, Lord. Still I will trust you, Lord. Still I will trust you, Lord. Jesus' name. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. He wants to use you. He's just bringing us to a place of where I don't need to dictate to him how. to do it. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.